All right, RTD Q&A midday live stream. And I'm excited to have a returning guest. And so I, I mentioned before we went live at how I'm guilty of not having you on sooner because <laughs> as I looked at the last time we had a chance to speak, I'll actually put up on the screen here. It was April 27th of 2017. And the wow. title, which is what I want to start off with today, was The Time is Coming. It's a Mathematical Certainty. Right. And I think we're kind of reaching that point now of that certainty you were referring to then. And so, Mr. Craig Hemke, how are you doing, my friend? Shoot, I've really aged in the last three years. My God, <laughs> I might still have that shirt, though. Damn, I should have. That would have been fun to drag that thing out and uh, and put it on. But um, no, you're right. That's people have often asked me, especially I, well in the last couple of weeks, I should say. I've heard quite a bit about ah, damn, yeah, you really held in there, and it looks like you're going to end up being right. And I say, mm -hmm. well, you know, it's, it wasn't complicated. This was just the math. Yeah. And that's, you know, I've got faith in math. And so uh, I'm glad you put that up because that's always been, you know, basically the underlying premise of, of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, because of the math, that creates a sense of a certainty and confidence because numbers mm -hmm. typically don't lie if they're done correctly. And so I want to start off by hey, welcome everybody that's tuning in. And I, I appreciate Craig Hemke from TFMeadows.com joining us to share his thoughts and analysis and everything else. So, Craig, welcome. And so I want to start off by asking you which direction you want to go. Do you want to go the mainstream narrative or would you prefer to go to alternative media narrative as to current where we're at now, what we've been experiencing for the last month? What would you, what would you prefer to go down first? That's a good question. Why don't we start with mainstream? Because everybody's going to be familiar with that. Um, and then we'll not so much the alternative. We'll talk about what's actually happening. How's that? Fair enough. Fair enough. Sounds good. So the mainstream narrative is that there's a health, there's a global health situation, which is the cause for all this uncertainty in the markets of all kinds and unemployment and economy shutting down and stimulus that it goes on and on. And so, of course, the certainty you're referring to years ago was about what's currently going on underway now. Can you elaborate and shine a little light as to what this uh, mainstream narrative is about? Well, I, I think that part is correct. Obviously, the you know as this virus has swept the globe, people have gone to these great lengths to try to control it. Which, I mean, when I saw the the trucks, you know, shooting out the the bleach and stuff, you know, out of the massive, you know, it was like those, you know, those those cooler fans they have at a football game, you yeah. know, on sidelines and blowing their steam. I mean, when I saw the Chinese deploying those trucks, I was like, holy smokes, they must know something, you know, that they're not telling everybody. Yeah. Now, as you see this sweep the planet, you know, you see what's going on. Yeah. And I and I suspect, Mike, there's going to come a point here when we're just going to have to deal with it. I mean, once we get past uh, this initial push that has the risk of overrunning the hospitals, you know, and and putting all of the the, you know, the health service provider, the doctors and nurses and stuff at great risk. Once we get past that, mm -hmm. I think we're all just going to have to go. Well, shit. Excuse me. <laughs> That's I mean, real. It is what it is. I mean, I'm a 54 year old guy. Mm -hmm. Actuarially, I've got about a four tenths of one percent chance of, of croaking this year anyway. Mm. And I think for a healthy 54 year old guy, I've got about a four tenth of one percent chance from a case fatality rate with this virus too. Mm -hmm. And so I think you know, at some point, we're going to keep the most vulnerable isolated. You know, keep the nursing homes closed, and you know, if you're an older person that's a cancer survivor and you're diabetic and you have high blood pressure, you're going to have to continue to isolate yourself, but the rest of us are going to have to get back at it. Yeah. And so um, what's not deniable though, is, you know, where we are currently. And so 
the response to this has been the traditional response. It's like, well, we're just going to conjure up a bunch of money from nothing, some cash from nothing and feed it out to people, which I'm totally in favor of. Mm-hmm. I wish they'd given a lot more to just regular people rather than the banks. Yeah. Um, you know, this, but again, that's not what we're here to talk about. Moral of the story is this. Uh, you go back to the end of last year, Congressional Budget Office puts out a, a projection of the rest of this decade. And they came up with about $1.2 trillion per year in annual uh, deficit spending. Okay. Yeah. Now that was uh, basing uh, on their revenue. You know, the government only has one source of revenue and that's taxation. And they're basing those those revenue numbers off of a 3% GDP growth as far as, and we hadn't done 3% annualized since, I mean, I don't even know when, right? But the CBO cooks in these rosy assumptions and says, yeah, it's going to be 3% every year for the rest of this decade. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the U S going to run a $1.2 trillion deficit. Well, here's the math. Now here's where this gets funky. Think of it as, uh, let's just overly simplify. Let's say the U.S. was going to spend $4.2 trillion this year, which ends at the end of September, and they were going to take in $3 trillion in tax revenue. Well, they're not taking in $3 trillion in tax revenue now, right? Yeah. I mean, let's just say they do two. Okay, all things being equal, with no additional spending, that's $2.2 trillion in deficit spending. But we know they just added on $2.1, so now we're at $4.3 for a deficit yeah. this year and it's going to be worse than that. It's going to probably be more like six. Yeah. So we're going to increase the budget deficit in the U S by 25% this year alone. Okay. And now we're getting to the point where things are going exponential, <laughs> just like the virus. Mm-hmm. And that's that math you're talking about. You have to continually create more cash to service even just the existing debt. Eventually that drives your currency to basically valueless really. I mean, the more you have of something, the more you create of something, uh, you're essentially trimming the value of the existing supply. Yeah. And that's the direction we're headed. And so then the question becomes, which is what, again, you focus on a lot is what happens next? Mm-hmm. You know, can the dollar support the globe on its own in terms of being the reserve currency? I'm not sure there will be enough demand for it. Um eventually when, yeah. you know, uh, the math breaks down. So anyway, I'm sorry, I gave you a long answer to that, but that no, I think where we are in this is, I think you accurately summed it up. It's just the, the question is, where do we go? And that's going to be uh, most telling. Yeah. I think, uh, that we're currently in the time frame now where we're witnessing the, uh, erosion of our monetary system mm-hmm. of the global monetary system. So just not the federal reserve is in the same boat as every other central bank. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's going to be creation of funny, funny currency to prop things up at the same time where they're using the cover up of this health scare as a, as, as a, as, a, as the blame. And so did you ever see, uh, and so I always talked about the possibility of possible, a possible war being the thing that would trigger this next need for, stimulus and quantitative easing to infinity but i never factored in a, a health scare yeah but yet it's it's one of those things where you, we can't get an idea as to how long this thing's this thing will last right but yet have we skipped the recession phase and entered into a depression already because all the numbers and unemployment that uh, you can call them off have we skipped the recession and gone into a depression in your opinion yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> what's a traditional metric two quarters in a row of negative gdp mm-hmm. right uh, we might escape the first quarter 
with, you know, some measure of positive just because it ends, you know, obviously in March and things were, we had January, February where things are probably moving along. Okay. But the second quarter doesn't look too good. And, and I mean, people are banding about numbers now of negative 15%. I mean, that's, that's clearly depressionary. Um, you know, that's, that's economic collapse kind of stuff. But then, you know, again, though, Mike, we're kind of getting into just semantics, you know, I mean, the real situation on the ground is, is what's going to be most important. You know, I mean, how quickly can, I mean, we're, we're not Dresden, right? I mean, the factories didn't get, you know, firebombed, the lights are off and the employees were sent home. So how quickly uh, demand can pick up, you know, the thing kind of is a virtuous cycle of people wanting stuff again and some pro products again. And now all of a sudden you're going to rehire some employees and people want to come to your bar again, and you're going to rehire some, you know, uh, bartenders and waitresses and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So how quickly can that kind of rebuild? I suspect I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, That's good. Go ahead. <laughs> but all this cash that, that has been created and will be created. Um, look, this is, this isn't going to go on forever. Um, as we record this, uh, on Monday, what's the stock market up like a thousand points or something? Yeah. After oh, being down several hey, hundred, several thousand, it's yeah. right. <laughs> Look, if we, as a country in the U S kind of get, and again, I, I'm just speculating on a timeline, but if, you know, by May or June or July things, you know, they have a good treatment and, you know, and people think, Hey, we got some studies about how many people have already had it. And, asymptomatically and all, all of a sudden things come back online. I seriously, I mean, you see the Dow at record highs before the end of the year as bleak yeah. as it looks now because they've created these trillions of dollars of cash. Look what happened back in October when they started that repo program. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, the, the stock market bottomed on October the 11th, the day they started the repo program and the debt monetization of the T bills and all that kind of stuff, all that cash went in the stock market and it went basically up at a 45 degree angle all the way into February. Yeah. So all this cash you're creating will go into the stock market too. And I mean, you'll see it come storming back. I, I'm certain of that. I, I just can't imagine that not happening. Yeah. But anyway, but again, to your point, what happens to the, the dollar? I think that's going to be really interesting because we knew this was, there was always an event out. You mentioned war. Uh, we couldn't really have seen maybe a virus doing this kind of thing, but there were when the, 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 the central banks were trying to keep the plates of liquidity spinning uh, for as long as they could, but something was going to knock them off and it's this. So now we've got to kind of look over the horizon and try to figure out what's coming next. You know, does the system, the monetary, I'm talking about the global monetary system, mm -hmm. stay the way it has been basically since 1944, or does it begin to transition back to some alternative, you know, some sound money alternative or some combination of the dollar and the, you know, the Euro and the SDR and gold and all this kind of stuff. These are all, I mean, going to be really important questions as we go through this crisis. Yeah. And I, oh boy, anybody that tells you they know exactly what's going to happen is, is probably just trying to sell something. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I, I tend to pay attention to is this ongoing trends and seeing how uh, the economy has evolved. So we went from metals to paper, redeemable paper to digits, and now, the cash ban will be coming soon because yeah. of this health scare. So my personal opinion is that they're going to they're going to try to milk the narrative of this health scare is the catalyst for everything. Your health is infected. Your the social aspect of things. We're being stained right now on staying away from each other. Yeah. And I would imagine that you know if you go conspiratorial wise or whatever, just deep deep field, deep left field, 
the government wants to milk this as much as they can. And so the, the end result of what will come from this will be similar to what we had 20 years ago over the last event that took place, which we're still feeling the effects of surveillance state, TSA, you know, stuff like that. And so the concept of the, the digital dollar that's been thrown out there as a part of the, you know, I guess I guess it was phase one. But Trump tweeted we we're working on phase mm -hmm. four. So I don't know what two and three was in, in between, but going <laughs> digital, what looks like what they might want us to do. And so do you see us continue to go towards that trend of solely digital or do you have hopes and, and think that one day metals might be brought, in, brought back into the equation? Well, you know, we've been talking about this war on cash for years now, you know, and the idea was if you can eliminate physical currency, mm -hmm. then you really, what do you own? And it can be taken away from you at any time because it's all just, you know, zeros and ones on a, on a bank ledger someplace, right. you know, how much cash, you know, your net worth, all that kind of stuff. And that gives government and central banks a lot of power over you. Mm -hmm. Just like now they have a lot of power because, I mean, Mike, I mean, like you're saying, how long is it going to be once things get back to normal? They all say, oh God, here comes the virus again. Mm -hmm. You know, now yeah. that, you know, people are afraid and, and herded into, um, uh, you know, basically all everybody doing the same thing, going on lockdown. I mean, they'll, I'm sure they'll try to keep playing those cards to see, you know, for as long as it works. But this idea that you can eliminate cash uh, is definitely a part of, of trying to attack your personal freedom. Because like I said, I mean, it's, it's not a very long walk from thinking that all, all money and cash is just a digitized, you know, book entry mm -hmm. to the state itself, taking that away from you, yeah. you know, saying, Hey, look, uh, uh, you're fine or you're tax or something. And they just reach right in and take it out of your account. I mean, that's may sound fantastic, but uh, I think this is all a, a loss of let's call, call it personal sovereignty. You yeah. know, they know that they have to create a certain amount of cash to keep the current system afloat. They're going to do it. You know, and, and again, the, the, the problem is when you have an existing supply of something, if you create, if you double that supply of it, you're essentially decreasing the value of what had been the existing supply, right? Yeah. And so when they do that to you, uh, that is a, a almost a theft from you and me and anybody else that saves in dollars because, you know, I've, I've worked hard. And I pay my bills and what I have left over is my savings. And let's just say that goes in the bank and I have $10,000, which, you know, is worth something, buys me some things. But if you, uh, if you suddenly double the money supply, mm -hmm. well, that $10,000 I have is not necessarily worth five right away, but it certainly isn't this as same value that it had before. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what we're talking about here. That this devaluation is really almost a theft uh, of your hard work. Yeah. Uh, but that's what they're going to do. That's what, that's obviously what they're doing now. Um, yeah. And again, the math eventually means that if you can't grow, if you can't service the debt with the existing amount of money, then they just have to create more and more money to create the debts. And it, the whole thing just kind of starts going, you know, parabolically like that. Yeah. I'm actually going to put on the screen here something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and so, uh, could, well, I, I, we always suspected that, that, as you just mentioned, the only way to try to get out, is, out of this mess is create more of the same mess to cover up the prior mess, which right. leads to devaluation of currency. So here we have, the current uh, Fed balance sheet. And of course, uh, this is 
you know, un- unimaginable that they uh, t- they tried to tighten, but yet they couldn't tighten. So now they're expanding. Now, at what point does this just go to the point where it, it shatters com- complete confidence right. and their ability to cover up and keep manipulating the markets as well as people's confidence and continue to use their product because Fiat Federal Reserve right. notes and the digits are their product. So it's, it belongs to them initially. We just have happen to use it because of legal tender purposes. But, you know, is this something we can see this year or perhaps next year, given the rate that they're currently on now, perhaps? Depends upon how uh, badly this situation evolves. You know, if we stay on lockdown through the end of this year, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, what's the next? I mean, what, another $4 trillion? Are we going to yeah. cut? I mean, I know I wish we'd cut bigger checks this time to people. What are they going to do? Come back and cut $5,000 checks to everybody? Yeah. You know, I mean, and the whole system is so intertwined. You know, if, if, um, you know, the, I just keep thinking of the same example, but the restaurant employee living paycheck to paycheck in New York City has to pay the rent. And yeah. the reason they have to pay the rent is because the landlord has to pay the mortgage. Yeah. And if the landlord doesn't pay the mortgage, then the mortgage defaults. And if the mortgage defaults, then not only is that a loss to the bank, that mortgage might have been securitized. And so then that's a loss to whoever owns. The, I mean, and the whole thing just poof. the domino effect. Yeah. So they have to keep it going. But you make an excellent point. Um, I have long contended that uh, when the crisis happened in 2008, it caught everybody that plays along with it. And I'm talking about sovereign nations in China, Russia, you know, all the BRICS countries that we talk about, Brazil, India, everybody else. I mean, it caught everybody that was a dollar saver. I mean, you and I save our reserves in dollars on a personal level. Mm-hmm. All these countries that trade with us with a trade surplus, they have dollar reserves as well. Mm-hmm. And they were all playing along. As long as the system goes along fine, they were playing along. But 2008 caught them all flat-footed. And it was after that that China started ramping up their reserves, that Russia started. I mean, Russia hardly has any treasuries now at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've converted all of their dollar reserves into gold. Yeah. Okay, so what are they thinking? I mean, they're planning for what comes next. Now, as long as you know the merry-go-round keeps going around and everybody's happy on the ride then the system continues. But man, if, if we go $10 trillion in debt because nobody can get back to work, at some point, these dollar creditor nations go, well, screw this. Because we're, div- I mean, just as I went through this thing about you and I having our hard work and our dollar reserves devalued. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, what about the Chinese and the Russians and, and you know all these other countries with their dollar reserves and how they're getting devalued? Or the fact that there's more dot or hundred dollar bills or more more physical paper notes outside this country and other nations well, saving. Yeah. Like yeah. in our, I know Argentina, people have savings in dollars as if that's like gold to them. Not you know, yeah, the dollars yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. And so, you know, so eventually, and I and again, this gets to the heart of your your previous question. Does somebody offer an alternative? You know, it just says, you know, because they want to get some confidence back in their currency. You know, they know that because for now, everybody's playing along and we're all going down the same, you know, rat hole. Yeah. You know, the, the Chinese central bank is is printing yuan and uh, the ECB is printing uh, euros and the Bank of Japan is printing yen. And everybody's, you know, trying to paper over, yeah. <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> the problem. But, you know, at some point, somebody or a collection of somebody's may offer an alternative as a way of getting some confidence in their in the currency and then getting some confidence in their system going forward. Yeah. That's 
probably what's coming next. But whether it comes this year or not, to answer your question, I it's, we're just going to have to see yeah. how long this uh, paralyzes. You know that we're paralyzed. Yeah. So I, I would just uh, just to as a worst case scenario would prepare ahead of time, hoping you know, pray was to say praying for the best. Hoping right. for the best, preparing for the worst. And so my example would be at this current moment, witnessing what they're doing to the Federal Reserve note. And it happens to be our national currency, nevertheless, the reserve currency. There's a lot of risk in between. Uh, I can say holding too much of that because yeah. it doesn't belong to us. So that's the reason why I think rethinking the dollar or understanding because I like to go even even more technical, uh, Craig. And I say the Federal Reserve note is just simply fiat currency owned by it's owned by the Federal Reserve in contract with the Treasury. Sound right. money comes from the Mint. So the Mint is are the ones that, you know, prior to them shutting down and all the things they're having, they were the ones that gave us money and the people's right. money. And so I have a question here that I want to touch on. And this is from uh, Mr. Pabara says, ask Craig if the new monetary system goes digital, how much more energy will it cost to maintain mm. the digital system and much loss of freedom will ensue? <laughs> Well, I don't know about the first part, yeah. um, the energy that it would take. Um, that's not something I really considered, but I do think it's a tremendous loss of freedom. Um, you know, I, as long as everything's fine, you know, and, and you're a, you know, perfectly content pawn in the system, you know, it's like you feel pretty up to a couple of months ago, you felt pretty good, uh, living in China, right? Yeah. But man, as soon, you know, uh, as soon as you speak up, you become a dissident, you know, and then you're disappeared. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen in the U.S., mm -hmm. but when all your cash is, you know, all of your everything, your net worth, everything is just simply nothing but digits. Mm -hmm. The digits can be wiped away at any time. And, and so, they, I mean, it is a loss of personal sovereignty. And again, even even without that. You're ceding control of it because, again, the central bank, as you said, can create more of this on a whim at any time. Neil Kashkari said a week ago, you know, and when asked on 60 Minutes, uh, is there any limit? And he goes, no, it's infinite. We can create as much as we want. Hmm. Well, again, that's a loss of sovereignty, too, because you have no control over how much they can devalue your savings. So hmm. and, and, and just, you know, one bit of history, Mike, I'm sure your hmm. folks probably know this, but we tend to focus I mean, I think it's part of the human condition. You really only know what you know. Hmm. You know, my whole life, you know, like I said, I'm 54 years old. All I've ever known is this post Bretton Woods system with the dollar as reserve currency. Hmm. And I'll take it one step further. Nick Nixon closed the gold window when I was five. So it's not like, <laughs> oh, I remember the good old days when the dollar yeah. was backed by gold, you know? Yeah. And so who does? Yeah. I mean, there are very few people around anymore that remember a time when the dollar wasn't in the, in the reserve currency, where the U.S. didn't have that exorbitant privilege. And so it's really hard to imagine a time when it won't be that way because it won't be like that forever. Yeah. But man, there's a real, uh, what is it, normalcy bias or cognitive dissonance or whatever. People just think, well, it's this is how it was yesterday, so I'm, I'm sure that's how it's going to be tomorrow. Eh, yeah, yeah, I would yeah. agree. Now, I, I want to transition into talking about metals because I think metals can be an antidote towards a debt-based uh, pandemic mm -hmm. that we're experiencing in a sense. And so um, a lot of uh, bullion dealers, online dealers are, are, are out of inventory. 
The mints right. around the world are shutting down and, and even mines are closing because of this health scare. Right. And one of my concerns that I've mentioned in, in prior live streams is that I would be very surprised if uh, shelves are still able to be stocked for bullion dealers in the days ahead, right. given the fact that, you know, I think just the inventory won't be there. Nevertheless, the issues with the price side of things. So let's touch on that a little bit. Uh, so you, you, this is your, this is what you, this is you. Give me the rundown. What are you hearing? Give us some things behind the scenes that we may not know or that we should know. Well, the way things are priced, look, this goes back to when futures markets began mm -hmm. in 1975, which actually uh, futures trading began December 31st, 1974. Americans, after 42 years, were finally allowed to own physical gold again on January 1, 1975. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those two things are definitely related, okay? Yeah. Um, the U.S. had pegged the price of gold and, and set it to the dollar after Bretton Woods. And then Nixon, you know, suspended or however you want to put it, the convertibility of a dollar into 30, uh, $35 into one ounce of gold in 1971. And it was after that, yeah. the deficit exploded, the uh, cost of living went through the roof, the income disparity took off, the net worth disparity took off. I mean, all of this is caused by the Fed and this money creation. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, uh, turning this back to gold, uh, as part of this, I mean, there was never enough physical gold to peg the price down at $35 an ounce because of the, of the creation, the rapidly expanding money supply. Mm -hmm. So, uh, because there never not enough physical gold to do it, the banks, uh, the central banks and the big money center banks came up with this scheme of, of phony baloney. I mean, make-believe gold, alchemy, really. Yeah. So now you have futures contracts and unallocated accounts and the GLD and these ETFs and uh, all these different ways that you can own gold exposure, but not actually own gold. And so there is a lot of speculation of, you know, yeah, there may be, let's say for every single ounce of gold, actual physical gold in the world, how many beneficial owners are there because of the way this, this whole pricing scheme of all these alternatives has been levered up. Are there 10? Mm -hmm. Are there 20? I mean, think of it this way, Mike, think, of, um, here's, here's what the banks have done. Um, let's say I, I have a, you want to buy a car from me. Okay because you need to know that you can get out of Dodge someday when the time comes. You don't need a car per se. Yeah. You just want to know you have it when, you know, the, you know, you know what hits the fan. So, okay, yeah. I sell you the car and you say, but yeah, but you know, just keep it in safe, safe keeping for me. I don't actually want it. Keep it in your garage. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well then after a while, you don't, you just know you have it, but you don't, you've never asked for delivery. So I'm like, huh, I wonder if I could run this scheme on somebody else. Mm -hmm. So I sell that same car to somebody else under the same terms. Hey, now this is your car. If you ever want to, you know, have it show up and, you know, and I do this like 50 times. Mm -hmm. That works out just fine until all 50 of you show up at the same time wanting your car. Right. Yeah. That's basically what the banks have done with the supply of gold in the world. Okay. So that's the first thing people need to understand is, is this price you see of $1,700 per ounce. Mm -hmm is based upon a false amount of supply. All this phony baloney stuff, these derivative contracts and all this other stuff. What has since now happened in the last couple of weeks is people have shown up 
trying to uh, get the exchanges in London and New York to deliver physical metal under the terms of these futures contracts. Yeah. And what's been discovered is that they don't have the metal. I mean, they've been playing these games and, you know, and, and handing delivery receipts and promissory notes and warrants, and then handing it back from one bank to the other and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But when it push came to shove, you know, and we got down to brass tacks, they didn't have the metal to deliver uh, two weeks ago on a Tuesday, March the 24th. And they've been scrambling ever since. And yeah, they may keep it together, but the, the important thing for people to understand, uh, that's why there's such a rush, why there is no physical metal at some of these dealers. You mentioned some of the um, premiums and that kind of stuff and the, and the refiners being shut and the mints being shut. And yeah, and that all is playing a part too. But if you don't actually hold it, if you don't actually lay your hands on it, like that car that's parked, you know, that you parked in my garage, you don't actually own it. And um, when that system collapses, just like when this dollar system eventually collapses, Mm -hmm. um, the people that haven't prepared for that are going to be kind of left out in the cold. Yeah. Now, because of all this uh, scramble now to cover up all this paper stuff and digital stuff that's been brought to existence, Mm -hmm. There's going to be a there's going to be a one day. So so do you think at some point there will be a day or an event that will lead to the realization that they can no longer use those futures to manipulate the price and then it breaks? And yeah. if it breaks, will it be like exponential, like the same way we're seeing the 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 the, the, the pandemic curve go up and uh, yeah, reserve balance sheet go up? Will metals take that same dip, or do you think they still can find a way to? keep it from just exponentially taking off to where we say, well, damn, like today it's hundred right, thousand. Right, right. What do you think? Well, there are some folks that have written books on this stuff and, and I, you know, I'm not a, I have a degree in economics, but I don't mm-hmm. consider myself an economist, but there are yeah. a lot of folks that think one of the potential remedies of this is to simply revalue the gold that's on the books mm-hmm. because the, like the, for the U S I mean, the U S allegedly has 8,300 tons but we still value it at $35 an ounce. Hmm. And so you look at how much, you know, gold we have versus the money supply or the total amount of debt. Well, it's not very much, hmm. but if you revalue that to $3,500 an ounce or more, well, that changes that whole math completely. Yeah. So if we do go that route, uh, I would imagine the exchanges would close first. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have all these banks on the hook for all this phony baloney gold. The first step would be, yeah, we're going to just go ahead and close up shop and pay everybody out in cash based off last Friday's price or something like that. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, there's almost like infinite losses for these banks. And well, even though they're too big to fail, um, not a lot of folks are going to go for that. Oh, wait, wait a second. You're printing another $3 trillion to bail out the banks because of you know the, the losses that they took for screwing everybody on gold for the last 40 years? Um that, so anyway, that's probably the order it would go. But right. I do think um, I would be surprised. This is this is my own normalcy bias, I guess, Mike. Yeah. Uh, we we all know how fraudulent the system is, but it hasn't failed yet. Yeah. And so I suspect they'll keep it together, you know, through June, the next delivery period on the COMEX and all that kind of stuff, um, just because they've always managed to keep it together in the past. But when normal, regardless of all that. What's being pulled back now is is the veil. And more and more people are understanding how this works, this pricing scheme for the precious metals. 
And so as we get back to some kind of normal later this year, all this cash that's been created and everything, a lot of people, not only that is that cash going to go everywhere, stock market and gold and everything else, but a lot of people are going to go, whoa, okay, now I see, I better get myself some of that gold mm -hmm. uh, for the, because I can sure see where this is headed now. They've laid their cards on the table. Yeah. And so I think gold's good. I mean, I just think gold's going up regardless. Yeah. Um, and if, if you haven't prepared, if you don't own some, cause that's the vessel to kind of steer you through the storm because yeah. it can't be devalued. It can't just be, I mean, it's sound, right? I mean, they can create these futures contracts and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, there's, there's only so much of the actual stuff. So if you have your hands on some, that's going to steer you through the storm. I think what we need is, I mean, for a lot of people that haven't heeded this message for the last 10 or 12 years, um, I'm almost kind of rooting for them to that everything kind of gets back to normal for a while. So they still have a chance to, to lay their hands on some and some, and you don't take every penny you've got and put it in. I mean, you don't just like you wouldn't put it all into real estate or art or the stock market or anything else, but it yeah. definitely is something that everybody should have as part of the, you know, asset allocation uh, yeah. to help protect against all of this stuff that you and I've been talking about. Yeah. Now I'm curious to get your thoughts on the gold to silver ratio aspect. And so, you know, a lot of the subject matter has been gold related so far, but silver. And also I, I have yet to dive down that narrative to find out if it's true, but I guess Ted Butler uh, commented on JP Morgan's holdings of the most, the largest silver pile that I guess is known. What do you think they have in mind for that? If that is true, what do you think they have in mind for that silver stockpile? And then what's, you know, how, 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 how much more, if it is important, is silver in this current environment, given the fact that it hasn't moved in price globally, it looks like, but gold is at all time highs in every country except, you know, in the Federal Reserve in the system, basically, or the right. U.S., basically. And I'll try not to go on and on forever. I think I've had a too much coffee. Um, there are three questions there. One, um, uh, could silver be remonetized at some point? Because for now, it's just industrial metal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think, and there's potential for that especially if gold gets, you know, repegged up to a certain amount, um, you know, people use it as a basis of a monetary system again, but there's not that much gold. Mm -hmm. And so there may be a push to monetize silver again too. So then there's, there's possibility of that uh, regarding the, the silver that JP Morgan owns. I don't, I don't know. Ted can do whatever Ted does, but mm -hmm. um, I've monitored uh, JP Morgan went from having no silver at all, or at least none that was posted uh, didn't have a, a Comex vault or anything in 2011. And they almost got overrun by price and their short position. Mm -hmm. They've used the time since uh, to quickly open a vault in 2011. And now they have something like 160 million ounces, mm -hmm. uh, most of it in their house account. And in watching the gold settlements in these last couple of weeks, I think it's pretty clear that the inside term is eligible silver on the on the COMEX reports, the CME reports, that that is actually JP Morgan's own house account silver. We watched it, mm -hmm. I've watched it for five years. Mm -hmm. Every other month, uh, JP Morgan would stop, take delivery of physical silver into their house account. So I think that 100, and, let's call it 150 million ounces is theirs. Mm. Okay. What do they use it for? I think they get an exemption from the CFTC to hedge it. And 150 million ounces is 30,000. COMEX contracts that mm. you can deploy under this exemption. And I think that allows them to manage the price mm -hmm. and it's a cash cow. I don't, 
if anybody listening to us is familiar with the idea of selling calls against stocks in their portfolio mm -hmm. as a way of income. Yeah. Uh, this is like JP Morgan, the, their desk selling call, selling not calls, but futures against their existing position and generating additional income. And it's just like free money for them a now, time they come that they can stand down. But I think that's what their motive is behind it. And so, uh, I'm sorry, to my knowledge, with all prior large stockpiles of silver of this magnitude, I think was the Warren Buffett had something in the early 2000s, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, then the Hunt brothers. Those were always broken up somehow. <clears throat> you know, so apart from, you know, the CFTC and all the organizations being in on this, you know, wouldn't you say that that large of a stockpile should be a, a, a risk to national security or something of, you know, risk to national financial monitor? I mean, because. Once again, you know, everyone else has been had to resolve their large stockpiles, but not JP Morgan. Is that my, are you surprised at that at all? No, no, not really. Yeah. I mean, Jamie Dimon's a made man. The organization is mm -hmm. a systemic risk to the U.S. financial system and a primary dealer of treasury auctions, maybe the most important U.S. bank. Mm -hmm. I think they can do whatever they want. Now, I mean, the Department of Justice is finally investigating their precious metals trading. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know, maybe eventually, uh, they're forced to, uh, not control monopolistically control it. Silver's is just this little itty bitty, tiny market. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you could buy all of it for what all the above ground stocks for what $20 billion or something like that. It's not very much money. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's that important of a market. And again, JP Morgan holding 150 million ounces as a, insider versus whatever you think of Buffett or the Hunt brothers trying to corner a market as an outsider. That's a totally different deal. Mm. Okay. So no, I, so anyway, that Dan, that's a long answer to what, to a, what should have just been a no <laughs> back to your other thing. The last point that you'd asked me about was the gold silver ratio. I'll just ask you this. I mean, everybody yeah. looks at the futures price, mm -hmm. the price they show on CNBC or Bloomberg, right? $1,700 gold and, uh, $15 silver. And they say that, gosh, the gold silver ratio is 115. This is crazy. And all that stuff. And I'm sure even off the futures price, it'll come back down. Mm -hmm. However, I, what is, what really is the price? Is it that mm -hmm. can you and I go buy, get physical delivery at no, no <laughs> on eBay. I don't think you can find an ounce of gold for less than $1,800. And I don't think you can find an ounce of silver for, for less than maybe 22 or 24. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we use those prices, the gold silver ratio is closer to seventy five. Yeah. So which is it? I, I and I'm, I don't I don't ask that rhetorically. Right. Right. I mean that's just something for people to consider. Right. All right. Well, as we draw to the our discussion, I see a lot of people in the chat referring to cryptocurrency, and I see big mm -hmm. Bitcoin, Bitscam, and all types of you know lingo out there of where this channel is predominantly precious metal enthusiasts with a little bit of, you know, the te new technology dipped in between. What do you, what's your assessment on Bitcoin as the initial coin that's been put out there in a cryptocurrency, cryptography-based alternative for a currency um, and how it's being incorporated into our current, you know, monetary structure in some form or fashion? What are your thoughts on that? I'm, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in this. And there's people that are, that are, they're a lot smarter than I am that think it is a possible alternative. I don't know, I don't, but I don't, Mm -hmm. I, I see it more as an investment with really intriguing supply demand fundamentals. Yeah. 
Um, and so I, I, I never bought it. People were screaming. I remember Max Kaiser screaming at me in, you know, 2014, you know, you got to buy it, you know, now. Mm-hmm. And I never did. I didn't buy it until 2017 when I finally learned about you know, this having thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When I say that, how, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that, you know, it's constantly being created, running these algorithms to create new, uh, Bitcoin, but every, whatever it is, three years, Four. the amount that can be created, yeah. mined yeah. new gets yeah. cut in half. And I sat back in 2017, I went, wait a second, how does that not work? Because if demand is increasing, but the supply is always decreasing, that should work pretty well. And it did. Uh, Yeah, I bought a whopping like three Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. I still have (laughs) 1.8. So anyway, it's about to go through having again. So anyway, I I just like it as, like I said, I think the supply demand fundamentals Mm -hmm. uh, make it a good and interesting investment. I don't know if Bitcoin in as its own thing mm-hmm. uh, is proven to be the thing that you know replaces a dollar or any other currency, but that's just me. Yeah, fair enough. Well, Craig Hempke, once again, it's been great having you on, and I appreciate you for covering a variety of subject matter. I'm going to actually put your website up here so people can see. Uh, any last thoughts you want to leave us with before we dial back officially? And definitely, I would love to have you on. You know, near near future, a lot sooner than this past past time. Uh, to get your thoughts on where we're at and go from there. But what, any last thoughts you want to leave us with here on Rethinking a Dollar? Well, it, it, everybody should own some gold, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, because the world, every fiat currency regime that has ever been known to mankind has eventually gone to zero because for all the same reasons. I mean, you just, you can't create enough of it to service it and eventually it goes valueless, you know, whether that's what you're seeing in uh, Venezuela or the Weimar Republic or all the way back to Rome. Remember Rome was like scraping the shavings off of the outside. (laughs) I mean, this is, we're still people, man. We haven't learned anything and and that's what's going to happen here too. And gold's your vessel to get through it because eventually the system, the pendulum swings all the way over here where it's just unlimited printing and then it swings all the way back to the other side and then starts again. Yeah. So own gold, but you gotta get it in your own hands. You cannot, don't, take anybody's promises you know of oh yeah sure we'll get it to you you know whenever you need it no you you you're gonna buy that car and you're gonna park the car in your own garage yeah okay so that would be my thing that's what we talk about we've done that at at tf metals report for the last almost 10 years now yeah um and the online community is great and uh the i try to do some analysis every day to try to discern which way price is headed in the short term to kind of help people time their buys and stuff like that. But I encourage everybody to check it at just tfmetalsreport.com. Mm-hmm. But um, again, Mike, I just, I'm proud of what you do. I think you do a great Thanks, job and, uh, and, and just keep rowing the boat because yeah. we got to warn as many people as we possibly can, uh, you know, to get them past that normalcy bias yeah. and get them to understand that, you know, while this may or may not be the crisis that changes everything, that's just inevitable. That is the math. Yeah. And so you got to uh, get out there. I, I'm like pun man, metaphor to man today. Mike. You got to <laughs> cut the hay when the sun shines, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, I like that. Jason, you don't want to be the like the Costco, right? Mm-hmm. You wanted to go to Costco and buy all your stuff in February. You didn't want to be number 1001 in line to get in. Yeah. And for, for this real. next storm, this monetary storm monetary pandemic as you called it you got to be preparing you know before it happens yeah well craig hemke once again it's been great having you on looking forward to continue to follow your work as well as uh everybody here make sure you guys go connect with uh craig 
And then other than that, uh, let's just keep, you know, stay prayed up and continue, continue to push forward and pray for the best. That's all we can do and prepare as best as we can according to what we know. So once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in and enjoying this. If you found value in this, give it a thumbs up beneath this video and then share this information with your family and friends so they can find out the other side of the equation as to what's going on outside of the mainstream narrative, which, you know, is, 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 is tainted to give you a uh, unrealistic viewpoint, in my opinion. Yeah. So. Uh, but other than that, be blessed, be safe, and I'll see you guys later. Enjoy your day.